You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 173. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. How has your week been? Very much hope you enjoyed listening to Aubrey and I discuss neuro-linguistic programming as it's been such a key component for me and my sobriety and addiction recovery journey. So it was really important for me to introduce you to somebody who has been very powerful in my life, in my growth. And now we're working a business together and we teach other people NLP. And certainly there will be more conversations around that coming for any of you who have Heard me talking about neuro-linguistic programming now for 173 episodes, and you're frothing at the mouth to have a chance to grasp what it is that I have utilized in order to make my addiction recovery what I have been able to make my addiction recovery. And we all have our own addiction recovery journeys. And for me, one of the more important aspects of it was getting reconnected with friends and family And really having connective conversations, being um, present with them, not staring at my phone, not thinking about work, being in the moment with my friends and family. Huge, huge growth moment for me, um, bringing my girlfriend out from California to Huntsville and having that whole thing just be this amazing assimilation. And while there are bumps in the road, like there will be in life understanding that it's all about my perception of the experience and what I'm feeling on the inside that is actually creating how I'm behaving on the outside. It's become very integral for me to not make up stories in my head, to not um, have these conversations with her without her actually being a part of the conversation. And how many of us have done that? Raise your hand if you're out there and you've literally played out a conversation in your head Um, without the other person even being involved. And you're assuming you know what they're going to say. You're assuming all of these things. You might be getting happy or sad in your head. They're not actually even there. They're not actually even participating. So it's a huge growth opportunity for me when I find myself creating these stories in my head, get out of my head, get into my body, get into a, a present moment with her and having these conversations. Likewise with my family and being more connected to them over these last five years, whereas previously I'd come out here and I'd start drinking in the morning without them even realizing it. And I had this whole theory that if I would drink in the morning before they first saw me, then the bar for which they thought my normal behavior would be set based upon the fact that I was already walking around in front of them with three, four, five, six shots of tequila in my belly. So I would drink three, four, five, six shots of tequila in the bedroom, and then I'd come out already with a buzz. But they would think, well, Jesse just woke up, so clearly this is just normal Jesse. So the bar for who Jesse was in their eyes was already set askew because I had intentionally wanted it to be. Rather than come out and be, you know, a little groggy or whatnot, uh, you know, hungover, I'd come out already on a handful of shots. And now all of a sudden I'm bubbly and I'm bouncy and I'm already being Jesse, which to them was just me. But to me, I knew it was drunk Jesse. So now when I come out to the lake, it's an opportunity for me to really be present with them and enjoy them. And I'm telling you this aspect of the lake and my parents because that's where I am now. Yesterday, I met with Aubrey and we had the episode that you just listened to last week. But in my world, that was yesterday. And then I got in the car and I drove 10 hours to my folks' lake house here in Broken Bow. One of the reasons why I'm shooting the follow-up episode to Aubrey's introduction with you all yesterday was because there's a lot of things that she and I discussed that I'm, one, already excited about bringing her back on the show to dive in deeper, but things that I feel like I can already start to discuss with you all now. Because a lot was discussed, a lot of things came out of that, and some really powerful uh, points of view in my models of the world that I wanted to share. Because we are getting back to basics. We're creating this story arc where, for those of you who are relatively new to sobriety and recovery, um, who don't want to go back to episode 1 through 20 or 30, you can start here and we can just start discussing what it is you can expect moving forward. 
for you veterans of the show, for those of you who have a substantial amount of time already locked in to your sobriety and recovery, the beauty of these back to basic episodes is going to, this is my theory, and this is where I expect the show to take us. Oftentimes we think that leaving a bad habit like drinking or drugs is it's its own little singular bad habit. And once we've alleviated that, life will fall into place. That is not the case. You do not create your life as much as you choose the habits that will create your life. So while quitting meth or heroin or cocaine or, you know, very abusive relationship with alcohol might be seen as by society as this whole little different set of issues that you need to figure out. And once you got that done, everything else is going to fall into place. We know it doesn't. We know it does not just fall into place without a lot of hard work, a lot of focus, a lot of determination, and a lot of shifting of habits. Right? We're not going to frame them as good or bad as much as we're going to start to notice the habits that we have and then which components are actually leading us astray versus guiding us to our highest sense of self. So while you might have three, six, nine, twelve months, twelve years of sobriety and recovery under your belt, surely there is a habit that currently exists inside of you that you are no longer okay with, that you're sick and tired of being sick and tired of, a habit that is no longer serving your highest sense of self. It could be hitting snooze too many times in the morning. It could be drinking too many soda pops throughout the day. It could be sitting on your couch watching Netflix and playing video games rather than going outside and being active. It could be getting emotionally triggered or activated or cued off and then just you're emotionally charged because a spoon's in the sink or a backpack's in the middle of the floor or the bed's not made appropriately to your liking. There's a lot of different things that will end up coming to the surface of your life when you remove alcohol and drugs, the intoxicating substance. You weren't even aware of some of these habits getting in the way of your highest life because you were so busy focused on the addiction aspect. Well, if I could just get rid of Coke or meth or heroin or or PCP or pills or whatever it might have been, you're so focused on that that worrying about the other habits was just, it's like, Seriously, I've got enough on my plate. Let me just see if I can kick this Coke and bourbon addiction, and then I'll worry about screaming at my wife. Let me just see if I can quit this Xanax and white wine addiction, and then I'll stop getting all my kids about being slobs. Once you remove the intoxicating substances, a lot more space opens up, and you begin to notice other habits in your life that are no longer serving you. So these back-to-basic episodes are going to absolutely help you. Because you're going to be able to now say, oh, okay, well, some of the skills I picked up as I walked away or ran away from my addiction and my substance use issues, all of a sudden I can begin to use some of those same attributes in shifting other aspects of my life. Because to me, it's all habits. It's all habits. Everything is a habit. 90 some odd percent of our life is a habit. So when we're looking to make our lives better, We just merely need to look at the habits. Now, I say merely because for some of us, it's pretty obvious what the habits are. For others, it's not so much. And we're going to get into some ways that you can start to really key in on what those are and be able to identify them in yourself. This is where NLP has really helped me because it's given me this perceptual position, this ability to see things from my point of view see things from the second person's point of view, which would be the other person in the conversation or people, and then from the observer point of view, the third person, where I'm watching it from like a bird's eye view or, you know, fly on the wall, security camera in the corner. So I can see it from three different perspectives and I can empathize with all three and how their models of the world are creating what their experience in that moment is. So you might be arguing with your partner and think what's happening is only what you're experiencing. But the same things are happening inside of them. They're emotionally triggered. They're going through emotions. They're going through thoughts. Their actions are are being triggered by their habits. And therefore, their behaviors are going to lead to their version of an outcome to this argument, just like your behaviors are going to lead to your version of the outcome of the argument. And somebody watching it from the third person point of view, just watching the two of you argue, is going to have a completely different perspective of what is happening because they're neither you nor them. They are the observer. 
And this is something that we teach in NLP because it allows us to step outside of ourselves and really empathize and have some level of of humanity for other people and what their experience of their life is. And when they come in contact with us, it's not always about me, me, me. It can now be about them or us or they, but it doesn't have to just be me-centric any longer. And as addicts, we tend to very much focus on the me-centric. We become the stars of our movie. We become the centerpieces. It's what can we do today to get high? What can we do today to get drunk? What can we do today to to not get fired? And I'm using the word we. Let me switch it to I. What can I do today to get high? What can I do today to get drunk? What can I do today to look good in front of the boss so I know my job is good so I can go home and get wasted and not be worried about getting fired tomorrow? When we live in this I, I, I world, we tend to forget that there's others involved. And being addicts the way that we were, or currently could be for many of you, you're going to want to start to experience ways of shifting that. So you start to realize that there is a whole world of people around you that are being affected by your behavior and also you're being affected by theirs. And as we dive in deeper to this, we start to really unearth this idea that all habits are creating our lives. So whether the habit was using alcohol or drugs to mute your emotions and to somehow heal through your trauma, even though we know it doesn't help us heal through the trauma, at some point it certainly was our medicine, and now it's the poison. So let's talk about some of the things that Aubrey and I discussed yesterday, because there's just so many things that came out of that. When I step outside of the you know, why I chose NLP and what NLP is, and we certainly covered that a lot last week, or to me yesterday, why did I choose NLP? It allows me to reframe my experiences. It allows me to see them from a different perspective, so I no longer have to be angry or harsh upon myself for the behaviors that I be, that I did. All these behaviors for all these years, I get tons of messages that I'm so pissed off I didn't do this five years ago, 10 years ago. Why did I ever even get into this addiction? It's ruined my life. It's ruined my marriage. My family hates me. I'm such a loser. Why did I ever do this? No more. We can release that because it happened. No more than the field goal kicker wants to go wide right at the end of the game and loses a Super Bowl. No more than the hitter wants to strike out whenever the bases are loaded and the whole city is hoping that he hits a home run so they win the World Series. It, whatever happened, it happened. Our first step in all of this is just releasing the anger, the animosity, the guilt, and the shame that we have around who we were and start putting our attention towards who we can be and who we will be when we focus on that, the present. What are we doing today to shift our habits in order that they create this version of ourselves that we have in our minds and that we're able to achieve that? Because we already know the habits that we currently have have led us to this point. And if we're not happy where we are in this point, then it's time to shift the habits. If you're walking on a hiking trail and every single time you take a right, you know, eventually you start noticing the same trees over and over, you just can't keep going right and expect all of a sudden the path to change. At some point, you're going to need to go left or continue straight. But either way, continuously going right will bring you back into a circle. So the habits have to shift in order for the outcomes to change. It's just the way that it is. You come up with a scenario where I'm incorrect about that, by all means, I have no problem saying that I'm wrong. But if you continuously do the same thing, expecting a different result, somewhere along the line, somebody, not Einstein, but somebody said that's the true definition of insanity. So we already know what's gotten us here. What can we shift in order to get us somewhere else? And NLP is what has provided that for me. Now, here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. It's not like we haven't been told if we stopped using drugs and alcohol that life would get better. It's not like we weren't told that this stuff was killing us. We knew it was killing us. We knew something was off, but yet we consistently and continuously behaved according to the version of ourselves that was an addict. I I liken it to packs of cigarettes. You see the pack of cigarettes, it's got the charred lung, it's got the person with the missing teeth, 
Um, how we could even think about pictures of people who've been on meth for years and how they, you know, the before and they look, you know, like a human would look. And then three years into meth, all of a sudden they do not look like a human should look. And it's almost alien-esque. It's not like we haven't seen those pictures. We've seen what three years of meth addiction will do. We've seen what three years of coke addiction will do. We've definitely seen what will happen after a certain amount of years of cigarette addiction will do. Pictures are everywhere. It's not like we don't know. But yet we continue to do it. So why is this? We have created a picture of ourselves in our mind that we believe is us. You, let's, let's take this out of plural. Let's bring it to singular. You have created a picture of yourself in your mind that you believe is an accurate representation of you. This version of you in your mind, in order to fulfill your confirmation bias, which we talked about in a previous episode, is that you have to continue doing the actions that you have been doing in order to reaffirm each and every day this picture of who you are in your mind. So if one of your identity statements is, I am addicted to meth, I am addicted to cocaine, I am addicted to alcohol, then your identity is tied to being a person addicted to meth, cocaine, or alcohol. Now we know that those things are bad for us. (laughs) Again, it's not new. (laughs) It's like running a stop sign. Sure, you may not get T-boned or sideswiped every time you do it, but Definitely the odds that it's going to happen increase each time you run a stop sign. At some point, you are going to end up looking like the picture of someone who's been addicted to meth, cocaine, or booze for countless years. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. But you've got this version of yourself in your mind that's locked into, this is who I am. And if I'm not this, what will I then be? And I know this can almost sound like a riddle. But because in a way, it's the way your mind does these mental gymnastics. It tricks you into, into continuing the behavior that got you here, even though here isn't where you want to be. Now, you are going to hear some random noises in the background because I am in the woods currently shooting this at the family lake house. So there's, you know, four wheelers going by and there's dogs and there's the whole thing. So if you hear background sounds, enjoy them with me. That is the lovely sound of nature or in that case, a four wheeler. So you've got this picture of yourself in your mind of who you are and you don't want to be this person anymore. And you know, because you've seen other pictures, that that's where you're leading yourself to right? Toothless and your face is emaciated and you've got your skin is yellow and it's oily and there's acne and you just, you're, it's, you know, come on, let's face it. We can all look at some of those pictures and be like, yeah, it's atrocious. Nobody wants to make themselves look that way. But our habits began to create that life, right? That life began to feed upon itself. This is what we became habituated to doing. We locked in our identity statements. And now when we try to think about ourselves outside of the addiction, it's, a, it's almost like there's this cognitive dissonance, which we talked about in episode 134, which is right about the same time we talked about confirmation bias. So go back and look around 134 and you'll find confirmation bias. Cognitive dissonance is looking at yourself in the mirror and either not seeing the version of yourself that you want to see, so you start to change your expectations of who you want to be, right? If you wanted to be a successful sports broadcaster, but now you're addicted to Coke, you just start to change and rationalize why being addicted to Coke and being this version of yourself is better than being a sports broadcaster. Because if you didn't play mental gymnastics and convince yourself that being a Coke addict was a much better life than ever working at ESPN would have been, then now all of a sudden there's this incongruency inside of me. There's this war happening of who I could have been versus who I am, right? Then the hate, the anger, the depression, the sadness, the the shame, the guilt, those things begin to compound. So it's much easier for the mind to just justify its behaviors, to fool itself, to kid itself, to convince itself that what it sees in the mirror is exactly what it wanted to see all along. So when you have this cognitive dissonance of who you think you should be and you look in the mirror and you do not see that person looking back at you, your mind will begin to manipulate you. It will influence you to believe that what you are looking at is exactly what you wanted all along. And I know it sounds conniving. It's not that the unconscious mind strategically wants you to die of a drug overdose. 
as much as it wants you to actually survive. And one of the ways it has figured out to help you survive is for you to be able to feel good enough about your life to continue it each and every day. The mind wants you to feel some level of contentment with what, what your life is so that you want to continue to live. If it can, if it can convince you that everything is hunky-dory and you can live another day, then step one. Because <laughs> keeping you breathing and operating, that's, you know, it's unconsciously turned those into habits long ago. So, you're saying, okay, Jesse, my mind wants me to live. My mind wants to keep me alive. But what about the suicidal ideation? What about the anger? What about the, the furiousness? What about the daydreaming about killing myself? Or in, the, in a society like we have today, how many people's mental health have brought them to a place where they wake up and they think their only possible scenario for the day, the best case scenario for them today is to get their gun, go to a public place, and start shooting people. Imagine the mental health issues going on inside of somebody who thinks, this is my best case scenario, I'm going to go do this, knowing full well they could die. That's when the mental health becomes this major um, issue, red alert, red flag in our society. When the mind has lost complete control of convincing you to want to live, to showing you reasons to live, that's where the mental health aspect comes in. That's all of a sudden like, wow, like the mind doesn't want you to die. Just, just in, spoiler alert, the mind wants you to live. The mind exists to keep you alive. All the other stuff that it does, happiness and companionship and relationships, that's all bonus. But if it found you in the middle of Nowheresville, Alaska, it would do everything in its power to help you figure out how to stay alive. That's digging a 17-foot deep hole in the snow in order to live in it because at least down there it's somewhat warmer. It will help you figure that out. So when you know someone's mental health has been pushed to the brink, when they wake up and that day, suicide or death by cop or death by mass murder is the way they've chosen to go, you know mental health. We, we missed that, some of those markers long ago. And we've got to step in as a society and start helping people not only have those markers identified, but bringing them into a space where they can seek the help and feel comfortable with the help and be able to open themselves up to the help so we don't find so many horrendous things happening in our society that are being caused by mental health issues. So you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're thinking, okay, so the mind wants me to stay alive. If I'm thinking about anything other than staying alive, now mental health is absolutely a, an issue for me, and I need to be focused upon it. And for many of us, it was. For me, there was suicidal ideation. For me, there was hatred. There was anger. There was sadness. There was depression. There was like, you know what? Maybe tonight if I do three eight balls and take 10 hits of acid, then my heart will explode. But at least I get to go out with a smile on my face. And I would just keep pushing and pushing and pushing, not again, necessarily wanting to die, but I wanted to live differently. And I just didn't know how. After 22 years, finally I said, you know what? Alcohol is the issue. Let's say goodbye to alcohol and let's see where life takes me. It led me to neuro-linguistic programming and you now the rest they can say is history. So when you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you have this cognitive dissonance, you have this person you want to see, but you're seeing somebody else. Now you have gone from the stage of pre-contemplation where you're not even really concerned about your drinking. You're not even really concerned about your drug use. You'll make some jokes about it. You'll laugh about it, but you'll spend all your money on the next high. When you look in the mirror and you say, fuck this, I am out. This is bullshit. I do not want this life anymore. Now you've stepped into stage two and in a way, stage three of the stages of recovery, which is contemplation and preparation. If you're listening to this show, congratulations. At the very minimum, you're in contemplation. For many of you, the contemplation will effortlessly start to roll right into preparation, especially the longer you've listened to this show. Then comes action, then comes maintenance. Action is finally saying goodbye, but there are three other stages before you say goodbye to your addictive substance. And again, pre-contemplative people aren't even listening to this show. They are perfectly fine with the way that their life is, even if it is 
destroying them. Even if they do look in the mirror from time to time and say, fuck, what are you doing? And they might shake their head, say no more, no more. And maybe they think about it for a day, maybe not, right? That's even contemplation. You start to think about it for even for a day. You're sliding into contemplation. The pre-contemplation people look in the mirror and say, nah, you know what? This is good for me. They don't even have to ask if it's good for them. They don't even care. They're allowing their habits to roll them along the path. So you're listening to the show. Now you're at contemplation. You're at preparation. So what are some of the things that we can start to guide you through now? Obviously, what we were just talking about by looking in the mirror, this is really the where NLP does some of its most amazing, dramatic, if you will, life-changing experiences. Because it's not content to learn as much as it's experiences to have and to uh, internalize in a way that you wouldn't have previously done. So you're internalizing your life differently. What ends up happening is that you look in the mirror, you still see the addict, but yet you want to see success. You still see the addict, but yet you want to feel physically fit. You still see the addict, yet you want to be loving to your family and you want to have connected relationships. This is where NLP can come in. NLP comes in and it breaks through those limiting beliefs which is just a fancy term for the limitations you have imposed upon yourself because you have believed in these limitations for so long, you don't honestly think there's another way. You believe that you're an addict or you were told you were a piece of shit as a kid, so you are. You believe you're a piece of shit. You believe you're unworthy of love. You believe that you're a scoundrel. You believe you're a thief. You believe you're a murderer. You believe all these things that other people and yourself have repeated to you consistently and over and over and over again. And while those behaviors are what you did, they are not who you are. The intentions behind the behaviors, right, that's what we're looking for. And those get tied to the six human needs, like Aubrey and I talked about last week. And we just talked about, like, I don't know, a, few, a handful of weeks ago. But I'll go back and find the six human needs, right? Those six human needs are driving your intentions. And your intentions are creating your behaviors. So when we want to get sober and step into this world, we simply want to begin to notice what the intention was and see how we can switch the intention in order for it to benefit our sobriety and no longer be a part of our addiction. So Six Human Needs was episode 161. By all means, go back. You I mean, definitely, I mean, heck, 162, for forgiveness and expectations. Very important. Very important because you need to forgive yourself and you need to reassess the expectations you have for yourself. Uh, what did I say earlier about the, we talked about four stages of incompetence last week, automatic negative thoughts, 87, another great one. Um, I could sit here and go through some of the notes and I, I don't want to get lost in that. I want to circle back to this idea that it's like looking at the picture on the cigarette pack. We know it's killing our lungs, but we continue to do it anyways. What NLP can do, whether it's through parts integration, perceptual positions, reframing, quantum linguistics, so many things that we teach in these classes, it can help you break through the unconscious barrier, the unconscious cognitive dissonance that you are going through and allow you to basically heal through it. So you see an addict in the mirror and you don't want to. You want to see the successful version of yourself, but because you look in the mirror and you see this addict, Right, you're, then you you say, well, I'm going to be successful, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. But then you look in the mirror, and what you see is your old version of you. So you're trying to set this new standard for yourself based on who you see in the mirror and who you used to be. But what's actually going to begin to happen is you're going to create your new self based on completely new versions of yourself. It's like with me. Day one of sobriety, I would not have thought that I was ever going to learn NLP. I hadn't even heard of it. I had thought about being a public speaker and I and I'd been a TV host and I'd been a morning talk show person and I you know I did sports writing I did sports television I did some of these things right but those were just things I was able to continuously do even though I was addicted right I didn't when I got sober I didn't see that one day I would be a professional public speaker I'd have multiple podcasts I'd be a best-selling author uh you know I'd be going to addiction recovery places and high schools and colleges and businesses and teaching leadership and communication all these things I none of them were even on the board it was just let's not drink today let's not drink this week 
let's try to figure out something else to do with my life other than get wasted all the time. First, it was the gym and getting myself back physically conditioned, right? Then I started to understand my emotions and mental and all this stuff began to build itself over five and a half years. But if I would have sat there at day one and been like, one day you're going to be a best-selling author and have multiple podcasts and do all these things I just listed to, listed to you, the cognitive dissonance would have been too much. The gap would have been so wide that my mind would have actually been like, you are totally bullshitting yourself. You are making this stuff up. You're a liar. You'll never accomplish any of that. Who do you think you are? Why don't you just go pick up that bottle of Jack Daniels? Because I was trying to create a five and a half year version of me on day one. It wouldn't have worked. At some point, my mind would have been like, you're full of shit, dude. Just go back to the way everything's always been. It's so much easier this way. So what did I do? One, again, not having any of those daydreams. Didn't even think to make those daydreams. I just focused on what I could do over the next day, week, month, quarter. Like, what can I do over the next three months? What is a habit I can change today to begin to start creating this life that I actually want to lead? So when you look in the mirror and somebody's like, well, just what do you want to be in five years? It's so hard to even begin to accurately come up with that visualization because you're basing it off who you are today without any of the emotions, without any of the strong feelings of actually accomplishing the little benchmarks, the little goals along the way that create those big goals down the road. I get some people are like, come up with a one-year plan and a five-year plan and a 10-year plan. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do those things. Just understand, as you're creating a five-year plan, you're basing it off of what you think you can accomplish with the skill sets you have then, or what skill sets you think you might pick up do you really even believe that you will pick them up, right? Now, all of a sudden, it's confidence issues, it's trust issues, it's believing yourself kind of issues, right? So there's all these different variables that will begin to collide in order for you to even envision what your life could be like in five years. But you haven't experienced any of those four years and 364 days to fully grasp who you would be at that five-year mark. So while I very much enjoy the daydreaming of where this career and where my sobriety and recovery and where all of this stuff could take me in five years, I'm also fully aware I have no fathom. I, I, even There's parts of my imagination that just crumble back on themselves when it thinks about all of the things that could become if I continue to work hard and stay dedicated. I say it's the same for you. Daydream about five-year version of yourself from now, realizing it's going to be a hell of a lot more than you could ever have imagined. But again, you would be setting down this pathway for yourself based on who you are today. And if you're new to sobriety and recovery, you probably don't have a lot of faith in yourself. You probably don't love yourself. You definitely don't trust yourself. It has been nothing but scheming and conniving and manipulation of people, places, and things. Most importantly, yourself for so many years that the thought of being anything beyond that could possibly feel very unfathomable. And while you've met other people who are clearly achieving great things, there's a part of you that says, well, that, I mean, that could be me. I could get a little piece of that. There might be a part of you that says, hell, I'm going to quadruple that. But either way, you now have these thoughts and feelings flowing inside of you that will begin to fire you up toward whatever scenario, whatever destination you've created for yourself. And along the way, there's going to be opportunities for you to slip. There's going to be opportunities for you to doubt yourself. There's going to be opportunities for you to step up and prove yourself to yourself. When I think about what NLP has done for me, it's, it's allowed me to really see my highest sense of self. Not allow the negative self-talk, the automatic, automatic negative thoughts to hold me down. Now, that which you resist persists. So if I have negative thoughts, I let them play to the credits. I let my mind do whatever absurd crap it wants to do. And when it's done, I just say, are you, are you happy now? Are you happy that you got to do that absurd scenario? You, you good? You good? Yeah, great. You walked into a room and you yelled explicatives at everybody who loved you and you mooned them and then you burned their houses down. Are you happy with that daydream? I don't know why you wanted it, but there you go. Did it, did it work out for you? All right. Can we get back to the, the task at hand, please? 
right? Because my mind, it's, it's, I eat a lot of acid. It just goes off into its own little place sometimes. So I just let it. All right, have fun. I'll give you five minutes. Play this scenario out. But then we're going to get back to the real world over here. When you look in the mirror and you think about who you will be in the future, it, whatever you imagine, you can create. Yes, it will take willpower and it will take some discipline at the beginning. And willpower and discipline eventually become habits. And habits are unconscious. You'll just flow right into them. All of this stuff is absolutely possible for you. When you're in the pre-contemplation phase, you weren't even listening to the show. Now you're contemplating and you're preparing. You want to figure out ways that you can, you can be contemplating what would you like your physical body to look like? How can you prepare for that? Get a gym membership? Start weaning yourself off some of the sugars and stuff? I mean, day one off heroin, the last thing you really are probably trying to figure out is how many carbs you should be putting into your system. Let's just get you off the heroin first. There'll be time for going to the gym and busting your ass and doing all that stuff later. At first, let's just make sure that you're detox, that you're all ready for what is getting ready to happen to you because it's going to blow your mind how much better life truly is sober. I understand you're letting go of your crutch. You're letting go of your, of your metaphorical partner for years and years and years. The one that was always there for you. Happy, sad, full of anxiety, or super calm and happy. It didn't matter. Meth, heroin, coke, bourbon, booze, pills. It was always there for you. As long as you had them in, in your hand, they were going to soothe whatever ate you, or they were going to make whatever was happening even better. And I get it's a huge divorce. But I can assure you, the more time you get in it, if you actually work on your recovery, it will feel amazing. If somebody comes up to you and they're a year or two or three in and they're like, man, sobriety's miserable, that person isn't a role model. That person is a warning sign. They are not working their steps. They are not working through their four truths. They are not working some version of a program. And you know how I am. I'm not beholden to any program. Whatever is working for you, let it work for you. But somebody who's a year or two or three in and it's still miserable, they've still got some work to do. I'm not saying that they're not on a great path. I'm just simply saying that miserable should not be how they're seeing sobriety after a couple years. There's some work that can be done. I get tons of y'all who hit me up who want NLP in your lives specifically because of this. You look in the mirror and you say, man, you know, after two, three years, I thought it would be different. I'm not happy with this. I don't understand why. Let's figure out with you. Let's dive into this. Let's guide you through some NLP and let's figure out where the cognitive dissonance, where the confirmation bias and what stage of recovery you're in. And let's make sure that we're bringing you the tools for the correct stage of your recovery. Some people are still in action five years in. Again, there's no right or wrong here. I'm not judging. That's one of the main tenets I have with the tribe. We do not judge right or wrong. We seek to understand at a deeper level somebody else's human experience. Thus, we can join them upon their journey and they can join us upon ours. But we do not seek to judge. There is no growth in judging. There are walls built with judging, not bridges. So once you start to contemplate and you start to think, what am I going to do physically? What am I going to do emotionally? What about mentally? What about spiritually? These are your four pillars of your life. We talked about these so many times back in the day. How important understanding PIMS, P-E-M-S. And I'm going to try to swipe through the, uh, let's see, I think I first introduced PIMS. Uh, Life's Blueprint, episode 36, and then 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, all the way up to 44, New Year. Um, I really dive into different aspects of PIMS, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, and then your three spheres, career, self-relationship. So by all means, go back to uh, episode 36, The Life's Blueprint, and I'll be doing more episodes upon that as well. And this one's already gone a little longer than I had anticipated, but it's really for those of you who are seeking to have a, a reconfiguration of what it is that you're doing with your sobriety and recovery or your potential sobriety and recovery. Yes, NLP is going to help you break through those limiting beliefs and that negative self-talk right? without making you think that you have to figure it all out today. 
back in the day when I used to teach people how to run half marathons, I wouldn't get a hold of some people who barely could walk to the mailbox and say, okay, guys, it's day one. Let's go run a half marathon. No, today we're going to walk 100 meters. Tomorrow you're going to walk 200 meters. The next day it's going to be 300. And you get them walking more and more meters, and before you know it, they've got a mile. And then then they're walking two miles, and then they're walking three, and then six, and then nine, and 12, and now it's 13.1. And it took them six months to be able to walk 13.1 miles. In the process, they gained self-confidence and discipline and determination. They created new habits that allowed them to open up to releasing pounds. After six months of walking every single day, boom, now they're down 100 pounds. Now they look at themselves differently in the mirror because they have the experience points of having checked off tiny little goals along the way that proved to themselves that what they were doing was possible for themselves. It doesn't matter what you see somebody else accomplish. It does not mean that you believe you can accomplish that. You have to put in the time. You cannot pay somebody else to do your push-ups for you. You have to do them yourself. It's the same thing with addiction recovery. Right? Day one, do not expect yourself to be running, sprinting a marathon. You are new. It's brand new. You have contemplated, you have prepared, and now you've taken action and you're on day one. So what is a habit you can do today? What is something you can do today? The one thing you can do today that ensures tomorrow you wake up sober. And then tomorrow you can think about the one thing you'll do that day in order to make sure you wake up the next day sober. And the more those you stack upon each other, before you know it, six months has gone by and you went from barely being able to walk to the mailbox to walking a half marathon. Change, the decision to change happens in an instant. The action of changing takes a very long time. You did not just wake up today finding yourself addicted to whatever you were addicted to. It was years and years and years of active addiction, right, that was first, you know, precipitated by years and years and years of trauma, negative self-talk, limiting belief, suicidal ideology, all ideation, all of these things. Perhaps you were even, maybe some religious ideology was pumped into your brain, right? It was years and years and years of yourself and others influencing you and manipulating you to think one way, then addictive substances were introduced into the mix, and then you just took off like a bat out of hell. It didn't take you one day to, be, to get addicted and to find yourself here. It's not going to take one day to release it all and heal. But if you're listening to this show, if you're finding yourself here, whether it's day one of sobriety or day one of sobriety could be 14 months from now, you're here now. You're contemplating, you're preparing, and for some of you, many of you, you're already taking action. Addiction does not exist in a bubble. In order to have a long, long held addiction, thousands upon thousands of your habits are leading that. They're perpetuating your addiction. They're fueling your addiction. Whether it's checking your wallet in the morning to make sure you've got money to go to the bar, whether it's making sure that you've got your car keys uh, and your car safe so you can drive to the bar that night, whether it's trying to make excuses for your behavior the night before to your loved ones so you can go to work and then go get wasted again without feeling guilty, or whether it's just convincing yourself that those people suck and fuck them. You don't have to have guilt for your behavior. They need to suck it up and stop being little pansies. Whatever you're thinking, whatever you're doing, all of those things are perpetuating and fueling and feeding on your habit of addiction. You're going to have to shift thousands upon thousands of habits to really bring your sobriety and addiction recovery to its highest sense of self. And I don't want that to sound almost unfathomably difficult because it's not. Because I'm not asking you to change thousands and thousands of habits today. I'm asking you to change one. What's one thing you can do today that when done would make everything else that you would, could need to worry about that day obsolete and your sobriety will be good? What's the one thing? Changing the path you take to work, changing the path you take home from work, changing the way you talk to a coworker, changing who you see in the morning, changing who's around you, 
changing your, moving your environment. Maybe it's changing all the furniture up in your house. So when you walk in, it feels like you live in a different place and your usual spot on the couch where you used to snort a bunch of blow is no longer the, in the same place. Now it's on the other side of the room and now there's a big stuffed animal there. So you can't even sit there anymore. Your environment, your physical body, your emotional management, your emotional intelligence, how you create habits, your, your mindset. These are your five zones that you can be paying attention to as you shift from who you were to who you are to who you're going to be. And you don't have to think about it all today. Just one thing. And for those of you who are months, if not years, into their sobriety and recovery, and now you want to have more connective communication with your loved ones, now you want to be more attentive uh, to those you care about, now you want to hit the gym better, you want to eat more healthy, you want to be on time to places, you want to stop getting emotionally triggered when somebody cuts you off on the roadways. These are all habits that you can break and shift just like you broke and shift your addiction habit. What worked for you then can work for you now. It's just needing to be repurposed from releasing alcohol or drugs to not getting angry at drivers of other cars when they do silly things. What worked for you for one can work for you for another. Just repurpose it, shift it up a little bit because there's going to be some minor shifts and changes that need to happen in the process to break you from screaming at people versus, you know, causing you to hit the pipe, hit the straw, hit the needle, hit the bottle. But in the end, it's just your brain and your brain's in trance mode and it's going through habit after habit after habit. Thousands upon thousands of habits have created this version of yourself today. Thousands upon thousands of new habits are going to create a new version of yourself. One that you look in the mirror and you smile at and you can learn how to love and trust again. People have asked me, how do I love myself again? You build trust with yourself. That's how you build love with other people. They say they'll be somewhere and then they are there. You say you'll be somewhere and then you are there. You say you'll be there for them and they say they'll be there for you. And then when the chips are down, they're there for you and you're there for them. Now trust is being built and therefore love is right behind it. You've heard people say when the trust is gone, that's it. It's over. It's the same thing with yourself. What's one thing you can do today to rebuild trust with yourself? Attach that to the one thing you'll do today to ensure you are sober in the morning. And now you are not only waking up sober in the morning, you are rebuilding trust with yourself. And it feels so good to be able to say that. You get to look in the mirror and say, I am sober another day. And I trust myself just a little bit more than I did yesterday. Rinse, wash, repeat. You are in some stage of recovery and bless you for even being past pre-contemplation. Now, are you in contemplation, preparation, action, or maintenance? Even those in maintenance still have habits they want to shift. I've got clients. I've now, I've got tribal members, people I consider friends who have been sober for multiple years and then they'll reach out to me at the beginning of the year and say, you know, there's this thing I'm looking to shift. We'll have a great session together. Six months later, they're sending me pictures of a success, that they released this much weight or that they became this much more of a leader at the business they run or that they're, they're having family hikes when six months ago they were sleeping in a basement. Things change. Even when you're in maintenance, there are still things you're going to want to be able to shift. And when you're looking for things to shift, ask yourself, what are you contemplating in your life that could be better? What are you sort of kind of preparing for? That's the newest thing you're wanting to change. Back then it was alcohol and drugs, but now it could be loving your partner even more than you ever had. So you start to contemplate ways to do that. You start to prepare. Maybe you you start to save up a little bit of money for a nice meal. You start thinking about different ways that you could get flowers into the house so that could be a surprise. You start thinking about different ways you could get the kids having a sitter so that you could have date nights you know, every Wednesday night and you could reignite those flames. Contemplation, preparation, boom, you take action. You give them those awesome gifts. You give them those flowers. You hold them when whenever they're sad and you embrace them when they're happy. Now you're taking action. And then each day you continue to maintain that relationship. When you step back and you hear me talk about addiction in the terms that it's just a habit, and you start to look at all the other things in your life that are also just habits, you can really begin to realize that you are in absolute power of your life. You are the creator. I am the coach and the world is the challenger. Seize the day. 
No longer are you the victim. I am absolutely not your hero. And the world is not your villain. The world does not wake up hoping to destroy you. Those people who might have it out for you, everybody does something for themselves. It's not against you. It's something about them. Some intention inside of them, one of their human needs, they have discovered their behavior of hurting you fulfills it. That's their addiction. That's not who you are. You are not whoever they think you are. You are you. The world is not your villain. It is your challenger for you to seek a higher sense of self, to unearth your purpose, to dive into it, to be the version of yourself that you daydreamed that you could be. And then each day do one thing that can take you there. You'll build trust. You'll build love. And most importantly, you'll take another step forward. You're not stuck. When you think you're stuck, you're not stuck. You're standing still. Do one thing today for one minute that ensures you wake up tomorrow sober. And I can promise you, day after day of that, one minute becomes two, becomes four, becomes eight, and the trust and the love begin to grow. And then you'll look in the mirror one day and you won't even believe who's looking back at you beyond your wildest imagination. And that, my friends, that feeling, that feeling is worth 200,000 days of addiction. It's not sobriety that sucks. It can just be life sometimes. Let's release that and let's step into our highest sense of self, knowing that all we're asking ourselves to do is one thing for one minute to ensure we wake up tomorrow sober. From there, the sky's the limits. My love, my friends, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to sunshine and glow on. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. 